two stories about what happens when the paranormal world interferes with reality. First off, a personal story of mine that just happened yesterday. What happens when a skeptic and a believer meet a man who says he saw something in the woods? And then we travel to England to investigate the brutal killing of two young women. As police are hunting this madman, they have no idea that the search will bring them to the gates of hell. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys I hope you guys are alive. Hope you guys survived the heat wave. I know it wasn't happening everywhere in the world, but it was happening in my part of the world. I know that heat wave didn't strike every place on the planet, but it it, it affected me. And to do this podcast, I have to shut my air conditioners off, my fans off. So even this week, I'm going to try to bust out the episodes as quickly as possible. And this is the last week of season 14. Then I'm going to take three weeks off. We'll be back on August 3rd. So you guys have a lot of fun. Oh, we are going to do a special July 18th Alien Invasion live stream, which I will upload to the podcast. It's brought to you by A Quiet Place Part 2. And uh, we're going to talk all about aliens because that is supposedly the day that aliens invade. I will say this. The live stream may not happen if we actually get invaded by aliens. If I'm having to like outrun Cylons and stuff like that, I'm not. I probably won't be live streaming that. But if I'm live streaming it, that means the world has not been invaded. But speaking of invading, coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, I didn't invite them, but somehow they found their way in. It's one of our legacy Patreon supporters, Tommy Davidson. Everyone, give a big round of applause to Tommy Davidson wearing his burglar outfit as he broke into Dead Rabbit Command. Tommy, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. we got some really cool stuff to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started. Tommy, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're taking a short drive, um, so we don't have to turn the air conditioner on, but we're going to turn it on anyways, full blast. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed out uh, just down the street from where I live. <laughs> you didn't have to honk the horn, but you did it anyways, Tommy. The reason why I'm including that preamble, because this story takes place during the second hottest day in the region's history, right? I'm up in the Pacific Northwest, and me decide to leave my place, which is about 68 degrees. My good old air conditioner, Archie, is doing its best to keep everything cool, and I need to go buy a lottery ticket. So I'm walking out in the scorching heat. It was probably only about 100, 102 at this point. I'm walking down to Walmart to get some lottery tickets to get some beef jerky, and I pass by a homeless man who seems to be muttering to himself, has a very odd walk. I've never seen this homeless man before. I know all the homeless people because I walk so much. We give each other a good tip of the hat or a draw of the knife every once in a while, depending on the interaction. I had never seen this guy before, and I have a lot of friends at Walmart. I go there, and when I get to Walmart, they're in a bit of state of agitation. What had happened was this homeless man, who they apparently are familiar with, came to Walmart and wanted them to call 911. Now, this man, who I do get his name eventually, his name is Keith. Keith has suffered an aneurysm. He has a very visible scar on his head where they had to go in to release pressure from his brain. He's had a stroke, so he has a really hard time communicating. He comes into Walmart and he's telling people, Call 911, there's someone in the bushes. Call 911, there's somewhere in the bushes. And and to credit of that Walmart store, they actually are taking this seriously. However, 
They also know he has a history of calling 911 constantly. So they don't really want to call 911. They want to check on it because the police are constantly getting sent out on these calls regarding Keith. Keith seeing things. Now, on the one hand, that's police's job to handle 911 calls. But on the other hand, 911 is for emergencies only. So to make a long story short, I see, I pass him. I talk to my friends at Walmart. They tell me what's going on. I go to I said, I'll take care of it. You guys have stuff to stock. You guys have socks to sell. I'll take care of this. I have nothing else to do. I'm just buying lottery tickets and beef jerky. It's not time sensitive. So I catch up to Keith and that's when I get his name and I find out about, you know, because he tells me, you know, I had an aneurysm and so I'd have a hard time communicating. I'm obviously going to be doing his voice and saying his words as he would want them to say. I'm not going to mock him or, you know, talk in a stutter or anything like that because he goes, my brain works fine. I just have a hard time getting the words out. And I've known stroke victims. I've known people, my uncle for one, with a horrible brain injury. I did a whole episode on him. Um, so I understand that. And I, so I get, we communicate and I go, hey, buddy, it, it's like 102 out still. And I go, hey, buddy, what's going on? I heard you want to call 911. There's someone in the bushes. Now I'm thinking one of his fellow hobo encampment guys passed out. It's very, very hot. That's what I'm thinking. We do have a cooling shelter set up, but you know, it's still early in the morning. People are still starting to move around. So that's what I'm going to see. And if need be, I'll call 911. We get to... He leads me up to this path, and there's a big area of stickle bushes, which you're like, you're, you're already looking through a dictionary. You're like, that's not a thing. It's the bushes with all the needles in them. I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're called. I think there's more than one type of bush that has neat needles, like hypodermic needles in them. You're like getting addicted to heroin as you're walking through the bushes. You know, like the bushes that really cut you up. And he goes, there's someone in the bushes. That's where I live. I live in the bushes. He showed me how he got back there. He goes, but there's someone in there. There's someone in there right now. And I'm kind of looking in the bushes and I go, well, do you want me to walk in there? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, that was a rhetorical question. I'm not going to walk into the stickle bushes. One, I don't know what they are. I don't actually know what these bushes are called. Two, I'm wearing shorts. And I'm looking and I go, well... I don't see anything in there, and I'm expecting to see, like, a guy. You're like, Jesus, you were supposed to go to help this dude, and there's some dude laying down. He's all passed out, and you're like, oh, I can't see him. You're, like, just barely looking over his prone body. No, and I go, well, who's in there with someone, someone injured? And this is the point of the story, because he looks at me, and he goes, no, no one's injured. Someone's in there. They're huge. They're big. And he's holding his arm up, like, way over his head, like, it's huge, there's something in there. And that's when I look into the bushes, and it's really dark back there. If It would be a perfect place to live. You're right off a main road, but no one would ever know you're in there. You have a wall of stickle bushes, and then it's just this forest canopy, shading everything in. He says, there's someone big in there, I saw him, he's huge. And I look over at him, and I go, like a bear? Because it wouldn't be unheard of. Like, we have mountain lions. It's kind of a rural town. We have mountain lions every once in a while. Bears, rarely, but it wouldn't be unheard of to have a bear in there. You got Winnie the Pooh walking back there, walking through the heroin bushes. He's like, oh, bother. This is way better than all that honey. Now, I said bear, but you know what I wanted to say, right? We're fans of the paranormal. Someone tells you there's something huge in the bushes. What do you think? You're like, Paul Bunyan's ghost? No, not Paul Bunyan's ghost. 
Bigfoot. I'm looking in the bush, and that's what I wanted to say, but I don't want to be considered a lunatic. So I go, is there a bear? And he goes, it's not a bear. He goes, but it's big as a bear. And I look at him, and then I was like, okay, I've run out of options. I go, like Bigfoot? And he's like, no, not like Bigfoot. <laughs> not like Bigfoot. There's a dude in there. There's a dangerous man in the bushes. So now I'm getting a little more information from him. It took it did take me to drop the Bigfoot pill to even be like, okay, this guy's an idiot. He's thinking like, dude, the heat's gotten to this guy's brain. I'm going to have to be very, very clear to this dude named Jason. Keith says, no, this is what it is. In the bushes, there is a bad man. Like, that's my house. But there's a bad man in the bushes. And I don't want to go in there because he's going to hurt me. And I'm thinking, okay, it's again, it's possible. I'm a, little, I'm a little miffed that it's not Bigfoot. I'm like, oh, man. I go, Keith, here's the thing. I'm not going to call 911. I will call the police. I will do that for you. But 911 is just for emergency. So if there's someone in the bushes, that's not really an emergency. But I will call the police. And I call the police. I say, hey, I got this guy, Keith, here. And they go, we were looking for him, actually. He called us earlier. And I bet you he did make that phone call from Walmart. And that's how they knew so much information. But I'm not for sure on that. They go, he called us earlier. And we went to the stickle bushes. But when we got there, he was gone. We wanted to talk to him. So is he there now? I go, yeah. Okay, we're going to send an officer out. I'm sitting there with Keith. It's super hot. And I do want to jump to the end on this. I did go to the store and buy him some beverages. I don't want you thinking the whole time, like, Jason, I hope this story doesn't end with you getting disappointed. There's no Bigfoot and just leaving him to his own devices. No, I went to the store and got him a bunch of sodas and stuff like that. And I uh, try to keep him refreshed. But until then, until the police show up and until I go and get the sodas at the ending, we're sitting there on the curb and it's super, super hot. And he starts going, I can hear him. I can hear the man in the bushes. He's calling me names. He's cussing at me and he's pointing at his ear. I can hear him. I can hear him. And I'm just sitting there. I don't hear anything. But as fans of the paranormal, people who love this stuff, we believe in portals. We believe in voices in the woods and killers in the dark and creatures that cannot be seen except by a few chosen people or people who suffer from mental instability. So as I'm sitting here, you know, it's funny because you have to draw the line. You can't feed into somebody's delusion because I don't know if this guy is off his meds. I don't know if he's on too many meds that he shouldn't be taking. I don't know. So I don't want to be like, <laughs> what's he saying about me? It's so, so, so spooky. You don't want to feed into the delusion. But also, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I know that this is possible. I know that there could be something in the woods. Maybe if it's not Bigfoot, but there could be some sort of spirit in this dark place. But we wait for the cops to show up, and the police officer is, we're going to put him in the role as the skeptic, because I don't really have to put him in the role. He didn't believe any of it. Now, he may go home and play with the Ouija boards. I don't know. Police officer shows up. I talked to the officer briefly. The officer then is talking to Keith. And the officer does this thing. He's a very nice man, but the officer does this thing where he goes, I believe that you believe there's someone in the woods. The, the, Keith is like, there's somebody in there. That's where I live. You go in there and find him, and the officer goes, we sent officers in there earlier to looking for him, looking for you, by the way, as well, but you were gone. You're like, But we did check. There's no one in there. And he's like, there's someone in there. I can hear him. I can hear him. And me and the officer kind of look at each other because we can't hear anything. But the officer doesn't believe there's anyone in the woods at all. Neither a serial killer or another homeless person or an ancient spirit. None of those things. He's not writing out his police report how spooky the encounter was. 
very skeptical, but I'm still thinking there could be, if not someone, something in the stickle bushes. But both me and the officer have the same point of view. If you think there's someone in the bushes, Keith, don't live there. Don't go there today. And the officer offered to drive him up to the cooling shelter. He didn't want to do it. He wanted whoever was living in his home in the bushes to get kicked out or get arrested. And he was upset because I wasn't going to walk in there. And the police officer said they already walked in there. And he's like, I can hear him right now, guys. The officer goes to fill out some forms, which I knew was not going to be a good ending for Keith. He's in his car and he's filling out a little paperwork. We're sitting on the curb and Keith turns to me and he goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I brought you into this. I kind of look over at Keith. I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, the man in the bushes is talking to me. And he says that because you're helping me, he's going to murder you. He's mad that you're being nice. You're going to get murdered now and... I'm really sorry about that. And I sat there. I looked at him for a minute, and then I just kind of looked off into the bushes. And that's when the officer came back. It turns out that Keith had a warrant out for his arrest. That was the other reason why they were looking for him in the morning. But the officer said, listen, I'm not going to arrest you. Do you have another court date? Oddly enough, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of coincidences or reading too much in coincidences and things like that. And maybe this isn't even a coincidence. But he gives Keith this slip, and he goes, your new court date is July 18th. Which is a date we've been talking about. We've been talking about July 18th for months and months. It's the supposed alien invasion predicted on Reddit. So, I mean, it's just a coincidence, right? It's not that aliens are going to invade, and they're, gonna, they're coming here to free Keith from jail. I don't know what he had the warrant for. Really, I don't care. It has no bearing on the story. But... I mean, unless it was murdering people who helped him out, then I'd really want to know about the warrant. But other than that, it's probably just drug charge or something. Like, Hopefully it's nothing too horrible. If the officer didn't arrest him, it wasn't that bad. But I love that story. I love that interaction because we got to see two people. And again, I'm putting the officer in the role of a skeptic. For all his personal beliefs, he may be like some new age guru off the clock. But he was like, there's no one in the woods. Corporeal or otherwise. But in my worldview, there could be something in the woods. Even if you don't see it, even if you can't hear it, there may be something in the woods. We both have the same advice, just don't go back there. So that's interesting. The skeptic and the believer trying to problem solve at the same time. The other reason I like this story is you, you can believe in the paranormal, you can have fun exploring it, but you can't let it rule your life. Like, I quite easily could have gotten very, very scared. Like, let's say I... There may be something in the woods. There may be some entity in the woods that may try to murder me. So maybe I should be scared, but I didn't get up. I didn't get nervous. I didn't run away. I didn't go out to the woods and try to do a cleansing. I didn't say, well, I'll spend the night with you, Keith. We'll cuddle under the dark stars, and hopefully this demonic entity won't actually murder me, which is threatening to do for me. You know what I mean? Like, you can believe in this stuff too much. I could have fed into his delusion... And become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. Whether or not I believe there's an entity in the woods, right now, Keith, you need to move somewhere else. That's the logical thing. So the believer and the skeptic have the same answer, and that's a good one. And the reason why I like this story is because it's a great juxtaposition to the next story. And it shows what happens when you don't have that 
switch in your brain where you believe in the paranormal and it takes you from zero to 60 in five seconds. That is what happens in this next story. So let's go ahead and get started with that one. Tommy, let's go ahead. We're going to leave the stickle bushes. We are heading on out to Freighton County Park in Northwest London. This story is dope, and I, I missed it. I, 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 don't, I have no idea how I missed this story. But an anonymous person on the X board posted a thread about it the other day, and I was fascinated by this. Thank you so much. This is what I still love about the X board. I know people knock it, but... There's a lot of good stuff on there still. It's June 6th, 2020. We're going to Friant. I don't remember how I pronounced it the first time. We're going to Friant County Park. That's in Wembley, northwest London in the United Kingdom. It's a late night birthday party. Woo! They're not cowboys. They're not shooting guns into the air. I imagine fireworks going off. I don't know why. Pretty sure those are illegal in Britain. There's a birthday party going on. All these friends are out in this park. They're having a great time, including two sisters, Biba Henry, 46, and Nicole Smallman, 27. They're just enjoying the night with all of their friends. But around 11 p.m., people start to filter out from the party. Hey, you know, see you later, man. We've got to run for the cops' buses for all those fireworks. Got to go home and hide our butter knives as well. They're leaving the party one by one. The sisters stick around. They set up their phones to take automatic pictures while they're dancing around in the darkness. They have these things called fairy lights. So as you're moving, it's making like... I, I think it might be something like akin to a sparkler. I think that's why I was thinking fireworks earlier. But you move, and the, the way the camera pick, takes the exposure of it, it looks like you're covered in lights. You're kind of dancing around with these things. And clean. The girls are dancing around with these fairy lights. A photo was taken of them against the pitch black night sky. But bing! Another photo of these women just having a good time in each other's company. Surrounded by nothing but darkness, the only illumination is coming from the lights in their own hands. The last photo was taken at 1.13 a.m. And it is a photo that the police have not released to the public. It's a photo of the two girls standing there, both of them looking off to the side, into the darkness. Next day, their friends can't contact them, either of them. So it's one of those things, we talked about this recently, I forgot what episode it was, but that fear. Like, first you go, hey man, I can't get a hold of Jonesy. Have you guys seen him? And no one else has seen him, and you think, oh, maybe he's just out, maybe he got home drunk, he's still sleeping, maybe his phone was uncharged, all of these things we go through. 99.999% of the time, we've all had that fear, and then we finally get a hold of Jonesy. We're like, oh, Jonesy, you jerk, I was trying to get a hold of you, I started to get worried. Oh, yeah, I was fine, I didn't plug my phone in. But then, at a certain point, you can't get a hold of him, no one can get a hold of him. Usually the red flag is when they don't show up to work, or something that you know they always do. But these friends, they get super concerned about Biba and Nicole. So they can't get a hold of these young women. They begin looking for them. And some of the friends go back to the park because that was the last place anyone saw them. Maybe they're drunk in the bushes. Maybe. Best case scenario, right? Worst case scenario is, you know, something happened to them. They fell down. They injured themselves. They go to Fryant County Park. They're calling out these girls' names. Nicole! Biba! Biba! No answer. They see something in the bushes. 
as they get closer, it becomes all too apparent that these are the bodies of Nicole and Biba. They were brutally stabbed to death, and their limbs were intertwined with each other. Their bodies remaining as close in death as they were in life. I always make fun of England. It's basically a police state, right? There's cameras everywhere. And I can make all those jokes that I want because I'm in America. I have free speech. But these cameras often do catch criminals. And in this case, they had these cameras all over this park. There's cameras in the park. They see a young man walking into the park around midnight. And he doesn't leave until four in the morning. They identify him as Daniel Hussein, an 18-year-old man. He's caught on video going into the park. They then are able to find video of him at a local store buying knives that are similar to the one used in the attack. I don't think they ever recovered the murder weapon. But, you know, based on the knives and based on the wounds, they can figure that out. And his DNA was on the scene as well. So they have this guy dead to rights. The, the trial is going on right now. His murder happened back in June 6, 2020, but the trial is going on right now. He hasn't been sentenced. This is all alleged. I mean, allegedly his DNA was found all over the crime scene. Allegedly he was at that park. But this, that, that's brutal enough, right? That's a brutal, tragic, true crime story. But then it gets bizarre. Because the police officers, as they're looking for this dude, they know who, where to, they know who he is. They go to his parents' house. As they're looking for him, they're wondering why he would do this. Why would you go and murder these two women? Did you know him? No, he had no idea who they were. Was it a robbery? Well, no. But the motive was financial. I just talked about what happens when you have someone who believes in the paranormal and someone who is a skeptic, presumably, deal with a man who thinks there is a giant person in the woods who's going to murder me. I didn't tell the officer that. I didn't file a police report. They go and they arrest Casper. No, no cuffs will fit that little ghost boy. This is what happens when someone believes in the paranormal. It's I, This is really weird. This is a really weird story. They find in Daniel's room... There's a photograph of this. I have photos. I'm going to have a link to the photos. It's going to have the two, two of the fairy light photos. Very, very haunting images. And then a photo of Daniel Hussein. Just a young, young dude, right? Young dude. And a copy of his contract. They took a photo of his contract. They took a photo of this note that they found in his room. This, I, I don't know why I say it's a note. It's almost disrespectful to it. It's an agreement. It is a legally binding agreement between Daniel Hussein and the mighty king Lucy Fuge Rofokeo. <laughs> I don't expect all of you to be up, up on your demonology lore, but good old mighty king Lucy Fuge Rofokeo. He's not Beelzebub. He's not Balbareth. I've never heard of this guy before. I'm sure I've come across him in my studies before. He's the treasurer of hell. Which, I have to say, someone on the export goes, what does hell need a treasury for? What's their economy like? Like, why would you have to go borrow? Why would you have to go? He's like sitting there, he's like, oh, the hell deficit is so much this year, Satan. And Satan's like, oh, go away. You're your most boring demon, and your name's a little goofy as well. Lucy Fuge. 
But I'm sure that maybe that name in Latin is super spooky, but it looks like it's just Lucy Fuge. Yeah, why did why would they have a treasury? That doesn't make any sense. Like, will they eventually run out of money? <laughs> he has these big giant pie charts. He's like, oh, if we keep spending on shackles and spikes, I don't know how we'll be able to afford enough coal for the eternal ovens. Mighty King Lucifuge Rofo Kale. <laughs> Mispronounced it for the rest of the episode, I guarantee you. This is a contract between him and Daniel, and Daniel has written this out on this piece of paper. This is the agreement. Daniel agrees to perform a minimum, a minimum. He might he might be an overachiever every so often. But this is insane. Perform a minimum of six sacrifices every six months. That that is insane. I, I know serial killers aren't even that prolific. Like <laughs> professional serial killers aren't even that prolific. Six people every six months? That's insane. Well, I mean, obviously just wanting to kill people and saying that's such a high, that's high stakes, right? You didn't even start off small. But who am I to say? Maybe Lucy Fuge told him this was the minimum. He has to perform a minimum of six sacrifices every six months. As long as he is free and physically capable. Oh, that, that first part doesn't work anymore. You are in prison, my friend. He also said, you go, well, maybe he's going to keep doing this in prison. Maybe he's going to, Maybe this 18-year-old boy is going to try to murder six people every six months in prison. Um, He could. He won't. He'll be murdered. But if he was able to do this, it wouldn't work. Because he also says in the contract, he will only sacrifice women. It's funny, the other day, Rudy Jazz on the Patreon Discord reminded me of how much I hate serial killers and how I say they always go after people physically weaker than them. You never see someone who's like the Marine Killer or the Navy SEAL Slasher, the MMA Annihilator. Like, they're always going after young women, children victims. The ones that do attack men, they usually drug them before they kill them. Like Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne Gacy would handcuff these people's... They'd handcuff their hands behind their back. Because mono a mono, these dudes would be dropped. John Wayne Gacy would have just been beaten by a pulp by some 18-year-old kid he tried murdering. Who was that guy, that sicko, uh, Dean Coral in Texas? Same thing. Well, he, his victims were very young as well, but they always pick on people that they can take in a fight. They're never taking on real threats. They're never taking on real threats. So he's only going to sacrifice women because he knows that any any dude will stomp him to pieces. And he said he was going to build a temple to Lucy Fuge. You're living at your mom's house. You're not building a temple to anyone. But building a temple, sacrificing only women, six, minimum six every six months. In exchange, this is what he wants. So like I said, that's really high for a serial killer. Most serial killers don't kill more than six people, honestly. He's going to kill six people in six months. And it would be an ongoing thing. So what does he want with this? It's so bizarre. This is so weird. And I see this pop up in a lot of stuff. And a lot of conspiracy theory stuff. In exchange for murdering six women every six months, he wants to win the Mega Millions Super Jackpot. That's it. I mean, you go chasing that is millions of dollars. What in the world? The lottery. This is why I included the little lottery intro for myself in the beginning. I do play the lottery every week, 
And it's nice to think, oh, you know, I bought this ticket and maybe this ticket is worth $20 million. That's dope. And then you think about it and then you kind of put it in your pocket and then you check them a week later when I go buy the new ones and I go, oh, I didn't win anything. I remember I did an episode called The Earthworm Conspiracy where I said, would it even be worth it if I was walking down the road and I saw an earthworm minding its own business? And I thought, if I squish this squish this worm with my foot and I knew I was guaranteed to make a million dollars. I don't know what the analogy I used in the episode was, but if I purposely went out of my way to kill this worm right now, but I would win millions of dollars, would I do it? No. Because I know me, I'd be thinking about that worm for the rest of my life. There was a time in my life where I could do stuff and I didn't even care about it, but that time has passed. And, little note to you guys, it's going to pass for you too. It's going to pass. And you're going to start feeling guilty because trust me, in my 20s and 30s, nothing made me feel guilty. Nowadays, I won't even step on a worm. I wouldn't even want to step on a worm because I'd be thinking, oh, that poor worm, that poor worm as I'm sitting in a bathtub surrounded by supermodels smoking my bathtubs in the shape of a worm. I'm like, ah, smoking a big old stogie, worm flavored cigars. But we see the lottery tickets pop up in the story of Elliot Rogers as well. I remember I read his manifesto right when it came out. It's one of the most fascinating things I've read, honestly, Elliot Rogers' manifesto. But his whole thing was, he has multiple parts in his story. He's trying to win the lottery. He's spending hundreds of dollars on lottery tickets. At one point, he drives to, because I don't think they had the right jackpot in California. He drove all the way to Arizona one night to drop a couple hundred dollars on lottery tickets, and he didn't win. Like, that was his ticket out. He was an upper middle class kid, but he felt just so stifled by all that stuff. He thought that the lottery could take him to the next level. And it couldn't. Because he couldn't win it, and he was a, ended up just being a horrible person and went on a random shooting spree. It's so weird. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to win $20 million or $50 million or whatever lottery you're playing, but don't murder people. <laughs> I don't have to say that, right? But he saw this. Daniel Hussein, just like Elliot Rogers, saw this. And I don't know if it's because... And this, this is what's interesting. Let me finish this contract, actually, before I get ahead of myself. He wants to win the Mega Million Super Jackpot. And he wants to get even more money for future sacrifices. And But that can... He add, he tells Lucy Foods, that can be provided to me in either wealth or power. I'll also never be suspected of any crimes whatsoever. That was part of this contract. Police will never know of anything I do, have done, or are going to do in the future. And then it is signed in his own blood at the bottom. He signed it, his name Daniel. And then he has a place for King Lucifuge to sign it. But of course, he doesn't. He doesn't sign the contract, right? So the police have this as evidence. There's the motive. He just went to this park. It stood there for at least an hour, right? He showed up at midnight. The last photo was at 1.13 a.m. Watching these girls. Probably looking for just random women to attack. Brutally murdered these two sisters. For this piece of paper that he thought was going to get him winning lottery tickets. Of course, he did go out and buy lottery tickets shortly after the murders. He didn't win anything. So he's going to be in prison, right? It's Britain, so you know he'll probably get 
10 years or something. He'll get sentenced to 25 or 50 years, but he'll do like 10. I actually need to stop making fun of Britain's justice system because I'm recording this episode on June 30th. They just they just let Bill Cosby out like 10 minutes before I started recording this episode. So I might discuss that later. We'll see. But no justice system is perfect, but Britain has a lot of issues with letting people out early. But anyways, we don't know. Maybe this guy will actually do some time. I don't know. But I find it super fascinating. And let's wrap it up like this. One, this is what happens when you believe in the paranormal too much. I believe in demons. I believe in hell. I I'm sh- I don't think they have a treasure. I mean, I'll have to look into this a little more. But yeah, I believe in that stuff. And I believe that people make deals with the devil. I don't think it's as common as people think it is. I don't think Beyonce has one, and Eminem has one, and Oprah has one, and Tom Hanks has one, and da 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 I don't think everybody has one. But I do think it happens. I think there's. I don't think Chris Pratt and Robert Downey Jr. and John Krasinski all have signed deals with the devil. But I'm sure there are people way, way more. These people are peons, right? These people are peons. These actors, these celebrities, they're peons. Chris Pratt's listening to this podcast. He's like, oh, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, And then you have people that run the world. Super, super. Because if you're going to sell your soul, are you really going to sell it so you can do three movies with Miramax? Right? You're going to sell it so you can control a, a country. Think big. Think big. But anyways, I do believe there's deals with the devil. But this wasn't one of them. But he believed it. He believed that this would work. We've probably interacted with this guy on the export, honestly. Or Godlike Productions or Above Top Secret. We've probably interacted with this dude, right? But he believed it too much. And he thought that he could kill these two women and win the lottery. So that's just weird. Just what happens when you believe it too much. Which is funny to say, because like I said, I do believe in demons and I do believe in hell. I do believe there's deals with the devil. I just don't... It wouldn't be like this. It wouldn't be like this. But I also have... Let's step back from the story for a second. We'll wrap it up like this. Whether or not you believe in the paranormal or don't is almost irrelevant as far as this story is concerned. Because even if you don't believe in ghosts and goblins and packs with the devil, someone lurking in the bushes nearby may. You may simply be walking down the street enjoying some time with your friends, or hanging out alone, reading a book in the park. Completely unaware that someone who believes they have a deal with the devil is coming up behind you to fulfill that deal. Whether or not you believe in the supernatural, there are people who do. And some of those people will go to any lengths to prove it. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address you can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio twitter is at deadrabbitradio deadrabbitradio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast you don't have to listen to it every day but I'm glad you listened to it today have a great one guys (laughs) 